If your heart beats passionately for people who have wandered far from God, this series, Eats with Sinners, explores the characteristics of Jesus everyone desires. Hey, it's good to see everyone here today. Welcome our guests. Glad that you are here. We are in this series. We are in this series called Eats with Sinners. And so if you're looking for someone to have lunch with today, I will certainly uh, eat with you because I'm a sinner. But I'm also saved, which is a good thing. And so we're glad that you're here today. Uh, We're talking about fellowship. So the word fellowship, when we hear that word in the Christian world, it usually conjures up images of like a fellowship hall or a fellowship meal, or uh, someone once said uh, when someone's baptized at our church, they get a Bible and a casserole dish. So I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, we have these ideas of what fellowship is. Uh, Outside the Christian world, they certainly have an idea of what fellowship is, but uh, it's so unique. Uh, Christian fellowship is uh, strangely beautiful because of Jesus. Uh, People are deeply connected to one another through Jesus. That's the definition that I'm going to use today for fellowship. There's others, uh, but the, the Greek word is koinonia, it, 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 and so koine is uh, common, and so uh, uh, this idea of koinonia is, is that there's this common bond between people who are very diverse in background, standings, whatever, because of Jesus. And so um, the koinonia fellowship in the New Testament breaks down barriers that have never been broken down in world history before. This is what makes it so special and so unique. Um, the opposite of fellowship is isolation. And so it's when people are separated from one another and Jesus. It's that separation that occurs because when we're separated from uh, the people of God, we're also separated from God himself because God, have you noticed, uses people. He works through people. And so, um, I don't know about you, but some of my worst experiences in life are when I was isolated, when I was alone, when I felt like no one understood what I was going through, or no one could help me, or no one could understand uh, how to help me get through this plight, this thing. So, when we're isolated, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the worst experiences of humankind, because we were created for fellowship with God and with one another, but... There's a problem, and it takes place in the garden. And if you've read the beginning of this book we call the Bible, you know that there is this breakdown of fellowship because of sin. And so Adam and Eve, they uh, disobey God's commandment to not eat from this tree. And uh, they do, and uh, immediately they go hide. Fellowship is broken, broken between God and man. God comes looking for them, and when he finds them, he asks Adam, Hey, Adam. What happened? And he goes, Eve made me do it. Can you imagine dinner at that supper table that night? I mean, yeah. Talk about the doghouse. He was like, he was done. But uh, anyway, uh, you and I, uh, uh, we are, are, are still experiencing the consequences of that failure of mankind. Uh, not only does it play out in our lives personally with sin, but it, this idea of separate, a separation between God and humanity and between humanity itself. And so Jesus, 
He will make the first move to restore completely the broken fellowship between God and man and mankind themselves. And so some of you remember the two-chair sermon where we have two chairs in the garden and, and God and man are walking side by side, but sin enters the world and the chairs are separated. And then uh, uh, God, and, God moves back into the neighborhood at the tabernacle at Mount Sinai and he says, here are the rules of relationship, the Ten Commandments. And, and so Israel, for a, a short period of time, they have this relationship with God, but they bow down to idols. And that separates God and man yet once again. And then God moves back into the neighborhood when Jesus shows up, when God puts on flesh and bone, and he dwells among man. And uh, Jesus is going to change, uh, change the nature of man's relationship with God and with one another. Now, uh, Brennan Manning uh, just... He's passed away, but if you've never read Ragamuffin Gospel, you really should. Uh, in the first century, he says, Palestinian Judaism, uh, the, this class system was enforced rigorously. It was legally, listen to this, it was legally forbidden to mingle with sinners who were outside the law, table fellowship with beggars, tax collectors, prostitutes, uh, was religiously, socially, and culturally taboo. You couldn't do it. If you were a good Jew, you, you did not have fellowship with those types of people. Even in, even in Jerusalem today, even in, in that area of the world today, to have dinner with someone is to say you're wanting to have friendship with them. And so uh, it was like it is today. It was then uh, table fellowship meant friendship. That's what was immediately implied. And they were forbidden to do that according to uh, the rabbinical laws. And so... The people that Jesus most ate with were the class that were culturally taboo, the socially ostracized. So that would have been farmers, that would have been Gentiles, that would have been tax collectors, that would have been all these types of people. They had a, a term for that group of people, and you weren't not, if you're a good godly person, you weren't to have fellowship with them because that would soil you, stain you, you know, uh, you would become contaminated uh, by them. But... Jesus, he breaks down all these barriers. Now, before we read our text today, coming from Luke chapter 5, a little bit of background I want to put in order what has previously happened. So last week, if you were here, Jesus was teaching from the boat on the Sea of Galilee. He calls these first disciples to come follow him. What takes place after that is the healing of a leper. And so leprosy had this... Uh, the stigma about it. Not only were you physically unclean, but it was also the reason you had leprosy is because there's some deep dark sin in your life or your parents' life or something. Jesus heals a leper. And then Luke tells the story of a man who is a paralytic and his four buddies, they want to get him to Jesus to get him healed. So they bust open the roof and it must have been a hilarious moment. And they lower him down and Jesus not only heals him, but first he forgives his sins. And so what Luke is doing in his account of the life of Jesus is he's taking these two miracles and he's putting them together in the calling of this man, Levi. Now, Levi has another name in the Bible, Matthew. And so this same guy, Levi Matthew, he will write the first gospel that we have in our Bible called Matthew. He will write that. And, and, and so th this, there's this story that's, that we're going to read about today that shocks everybody, including his first and early disciples. And so let's read uh, together, if you would, Matthew, starting in Luke uh, 5, I'm sorry, let's read Luke 5, 27 
Let's start there. After this, after what? After these miracles I just told you about, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, we should have some music right here. Help me out here. Dun, dun, dun. All right, do this with me. But the Pharisees, dun, 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 right? And the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous uh, but sinners to repentance. Now, this is God's word, and this is one of the funniest scriptures I've ever read in all the New Testament, this one where Jesus says. All right, so there's this banquet Jesus is invited to. He's the guest of honor. He's sitting with all these tax collectors, all these sinners, and these other people, whatever other was. And the Pharisees, the religious people, the preachers show up, and they go, hey, why is your rabbi why is he eating with those people? And, and Jesus says, here's what you go tell him. Go tell him that it's the sick who need a doctor. And so he just told everybody at the table that he's eating dinner with, they're all sick. And so we're not talking about <laughs> cough sick. We're talking about like soul sick. And, uh, and, and, and they're like, yeah, you're right. I, I can imagine Levi looks at Jesus and goes, Jesus, like uh, this banquet's for you and you just call me sick. And he's like, Jesus looks back at Levi and says, Levi, you're a tax collector. Oh, yeah, that's right. I really am kind of sick because, because of what he did. You know, tax collectors, you know, they're, they're, they're Jews that are employed by the Roman government to gather taxes from their own countrymen. And so where Levi is positioned is on the shores of Galilee because when the guys get done fishing and they begin to sell their product and they immediately have to pay a tax. And the, uh, and the Roman occupation saturated their, their occupied areas with all kinds of taxes because the, the, the money Rome needed never ended. I mean, they always needed more money. And, and some of you know tax day is just coming up. We kind of feel the same way sometimes. But, but anyway, uh, he, he's seen as a betrayer uh, of his own countrymen. Uh, people hate him because of what he's done to them economically. Um, and, and, and so uh, Jesus, uh, he calls this guy, uh, Levi, to follow him. And, and, and how exciting that moment must have been for Levi, how dumbfounded he would be that this rabbi that he had maybe witnessed miracles, certainly heard him talk, has invited him to be one of his cohort to come follow him and, 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 and be with him and learn it. And so he throws this great banquet, uh, Levi does. Now, uh, the banquet that Levi throws, it, it, it's going to exemplify this restoration between fellowship between God and people. And so, as I said in the beginning, uh, there's a separation that occurs in the garden, and now the God-man Jesus shows up, and he says, look, all these separations that have occurred because of sin, in me, they can all end. It, so, so this moment is a harbinger for for what's to come in the kingdom of God, that there will be these people of diverse backgrounds uh, come together at one table. Now, who was this guy, Levi? Fred Craddock puts it this way. He says, Levi was a wealthy man, still empty, guilt-ridden, and sleepless 
in a silken ease, haunted by the hollow eyes of the poor, searching for the market where real life can be bought, spiritually bankrupt and alone. That is who Levi is. He is like a lot of people today that are searching for meaning, purpose, belonging, right? Searching for that connection with another human. And, and I think this is why, you know, our culture is so bent on, on romantic, uh, romantic uh, fantasies and, and ideas because everybody has this like, I just want to deeply connect with someone. And the way that happens is first connecting through God because until we can get honest with ourselves before our Creator, we really can't have a healthy relationship with anyone else. And so uh, this, this, this moment is, 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 just blows people away watching it. The most religious people of the world were, uh, of that time were just blown away that, that, that Levi would have Jesus and Jesus would come and they would be at this party together. And see, what it did is it gave every outsider hope. And that's what, if you feel like an outsider, if you feel like, man, I don't belong in church, or a church, if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't let me in, or you should have saw what I had on my computer screen last night. What, if you're that person right now, there's so much hope in this passage because Jesus loves outsiders. Jesus attracts sinners. Uh, there's a, there, even even in, in, in ancient Near Eastern, as I said before, like to, to eat with someone is to say you're friends with some, someone. And, and so, so I got a question for you. Why were sinners so attracted to Jesus? I mean, the religious people certainly weren't. They were pushing away from Jesus. Not all of them, but many of them, most of them. It was the people who were the total outsiders that were most attracted to Jesus. I heard a guy say one time, if you want to build a great youth group, invite every loser you can find to your youth group. And it's true, like, that's who followed Jesus. It were people who recognized, I don't have it together, I am totally an outsider. That's who came to Jesus. So why are sinners so attracted to Jesus? Here's the answer. Sinners are searching for grace. Religious people are searching for some type of like affirmation that, that they know God or something. But sinners are attracted to God because they know they need grace. They are looking for grace. And so we have to remember how hungry the world is around us for people who will demonstrate grace in their lives. Our world's starving for it. We live in a performance-based culture, and so much of our culture is not geared to showing grace. And the church sometimes falls, and not all the time, but sometimes the church is not good at showing grace to outsiders. But that is not because they're getting that example from Jesus, because Jesus did just the opposite. And so... We have to appreciate this grace that is presented. And Levi know, knew he needed grace, and he wanted his friends to find grace. So he invited them to come to his house and be with him. Now, Table Fellowship invites the isolated to Jesus. This, this, these meals, they create the opportunity. They build the bridge. And you and I know when we sit down to have dinner or lunch or or whatever with someone, that there's going to be some conversation, at least you hope there is, right? There's going to be some conversation. And, the, and, and so table fellowship is unique 
Because when we eat with people, we're saying, hey, let's be friends. Let's, let's get to know one another. And so Jesus ate with outsiders often. Now, the early church was primarily Jews for the first 10 years. So Luke writes the Gospel of Luke. That's why they call it Luke. Yep, amazed, aren't you, at all this Bible knowledge I have? And his second book is called Acts. And so on the day of Pentecost, following the resurrection, the church is founded. And for ten, the first 10 years, the church is primarily Jewish. And so we read about one of their main things that they did. There are four things, actually, in this verse, Luke 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And so we get this idea of the apostles' teachings. We call that the Bible. They devoted themselves to studying the Bible. How many get up and read their Bible, like, almost every day, right, sometime? Or, you know, like, you know, you get a little verse forwarded to your phone or whatever. Like, most of us, like, we have a daily understanding of, you know, hey, I need to stay in the Word, I need to memorize the Word, right? And the breaking of the bread, this is a reference. There's a definite article before this in the Greek. So we think this is a, a talking about the Lord's Supper. They were devoted when they came together to remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what that meant to their life and prayer. Prayer being, yep, we pray at every meal, pray before I go to bed, pray when I, before I get out of bed, right? But are we as devoted to fellowship as, the other, as we are to these other things? Think about this. Let it sink in. How open is your dinner table at home? Like where, literally where your chairs are at. Like how devoted to fellowship are we? So this, this is partly fellowship here. We're here together. But a lot of us come together, right? And most of you uh, through most of this, this, these, this hour, hour and a half, whatever, are looking forward. Until these rows become circles, we're really not having fellowship, folks. Until we're really asking some serious questions like, hey, how's it going? Uh, how are you working through that? Like, is, do you need some help here? Like, and that's where th- this, this bearing each other's burdens is happening. It's, it's in these moments. And so are we as devoted to fellowship as the early church was? Is that a priority on our scale? I grew up in a church that you had your church people. This is people you went to church with. And then you had the people that you worked with or went to school with. And then you had the people that you partied with, right? And there are kind of three different groups of people. That's just how it was. You know, I don't know how it was in your world. But, but what happened when the kingdom of God was established in that first century is that there was a new kingdom established, new relationship established, and it changed everybody's social circle. Like everybody was like being moved around and the chessboard was being shaken quite a bit. And so uh, it's important for us to welcome people into the church doors. It's important for us to say, hey, I'm glad you came to Cornerstone. I'm glad you're here. Hey, missed you last week. That's important. But what is equally and maybe even more important is that they are welcome at our dinner table, not just the communion table, okay? Jesus, the God-man, is not a respecter of persons, nor should we. Nor should we. So... I referenced Acts chapter 2, this last verse. Um, There is this moment that happens in the early church, like I said, about 10 years in. In Acts chapter 10, there is this event that takes place. Peter, who is a Jew, Peter, who was one of those first disciples, Peter, who proclaims the gospel on the day of Pentecost, he is led by the Holy Spirit to go to this man, 
whose name is Cornelius. And when he comes to Cornelius, he, Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a, actually, he's a Roman centurion, but he's a God-fearer. He's been searching for God, and this is what God does. He lines people up who are searching for him with people who know about him. And so Peter is led there. And when Peter gets there, there are these miracles that take place. Tongues of fire come on, uh, on, on Cornelius and his, his family's head. And, and so this miracle has occurred. What preceded this was a dream that Peter had, and we can't go into that. But what I'm saying is that Peter, he says, at that moment, he says, so Peter opened his mouth and he says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now look. Here's what you got to understand. We're 10 years into the church. Peter has walked with Jesus. Peter was at that party with Levi. And now Peter, like, you know, I'm sure the Holy Spirit has probably got a flat forehead because like, oh, they didn't, you know, man, I wish they'd get this, right? Um, Peter finally says, I, I understand that God no longer respects a person's nationality. God no longer re respects where a person's come from. I, I think I understand that God wants like both Jew and Gentile into the church. And this is a big moment. It causes a great disturbance in the Jewish church, and they have to work through this. They have big talks about this when he gets back to Jerusalem and tells them what happened. And so everything goes along pretty well until one day, a few years later, Peter is at another location uh, where they're doing some teaching and some preaching, and there are Jews there, and he doesn't, he doesn't want them to think poorly of him, so he refuses to eat with Gentiles. He doesn't have a, he doesn't, no table fellowship with the Gentiles, I'm just going to sit with the Jews. And Paul hears about it, and he finds Peter, and he lights him up. He says, what are you doing? We've already been there on this. We've talked about this. We've worked through this. And now you're going back to a separation. You're justifying some type of separation between, between one person and another person. Somehow you're justifying that in your mind. And so all of us, I think all of us, struggle with this. Even after we've known Jesus for a while, like maybe all our life, like maybe you're like past the 50 mark. You've known Jesus a long time. A long time. And you're like, no, I don't wrestle with this. I'm saying we all wrestle with this. Even the apostle who walked with Jesus wrestled with justifying separation and isolation between one person and themselves. I mean, everybody struggles with this from time to time. I mean, we justify separation between gay and black and white and Hispanic and Mormon and Jehovah Witness. Or maybe you justify uh, separation between the, you know, your ex-wife or your ex-boss or your ex-neighbor. Or maybe you justify separation between the smart or the ignorant. Or maybe you justify separation between you know, the smokers, the tokers, and the midnight jokers, right? Any Steve Miller fans, right? Or you justify separation between the Baptists and the Methodists or the Catholics or, or the Jews or whatever. I mean, all of us struggle with this. I, you know, you're like, oh, man, I'm not going to talk to that flag sitter or that flag waver or that Democrat or that Republican or that liberal or that ACLU member. Like, I don't know what it is. But all of us have a certain person or group of people that bother us. And we would be, it would be like a miracle for them to sit at your dinner table. Right? Come on. Can I get a witness? Amen. Yeah. All right. All of us. 
So what I'm saying is, look how radical Jesus is in his his ministry. He's so radical. No one does this except the God-man saying, in me, there is no longer needed any separation. Now, I don't want to downplay Jesus's call to repentance in Levi's life. Because when Jesus says, hey, Levi, come follow me, Levi walks away from his job completely forever. Like in that moment, he gets up and he just, from here on out, he's dependent upon Jesus. That means he's walked away from a a lifestyle that was destroying him, but he already knew that. He already knew that. And so when he follows Jesus, it's because he knows that Jesus is offering grace. Jesus is offering something he's never heard of before. He's, he's offering him a, a belonging, a, a place in, a, in his kingdom that seemed so separate from him because of his lifestyle choices as a tax collector. And so you and I have to understand how radically different God is in compared to us. He's not a respecter of people. Um, Ragamuffin Gospel, another quote from Brendan Manning. He says, Jesus comes for sinners, for those as outcast tax collectors, and for those caught up in the squalid choices of failed dreams. He comes from corporate executives, street people, superstars, farmers, hookers, addicts, IRS agents, AIDS victims, and even, yes, even the used car salesman. Can it be? Uh, Jesus not only talks with these people, but he also dines with them, fully aware that His table fellowship with sinners will raise the eyebrows of the religious. And isn't it true, even in our own culture, when people step out of the norm, when church people, when Christians, they step out of the norm and they're really trying to reach out, it will raise the eyebrows of the most religious people. Now, why are people drawn to Jesus? Because Jesus is drawn to them. I mean... You know, you got to write that down, like on your neighbor's forehead, right? (laughs) Not literally. Somebody's going to do that one day, and I'm just going to laugh. (laughs) Jesus, people knew that, that he wanted to be with them. Like, there was no facade, and he, he, this genuineness, and so when he does that, it raises the eyebrows of everyone, even his disciples. This is how radically different, how counterculture Jesus is. Now, the Holy Spirit will enable us to do the same. You can do this. You can do it, right? You can do it. You can actually accomplish this mission. Um, Let me tell you about uh, this person, Rachel Starr, she's the founder of a ministry called Scarlet Hope. She lives in Louisville, Kentucky, and she would drive by this um, a nightclub where all these girls would dance. And the Holy Spirit just laid it on her heart. She's got to do something for these girls, and she didn't know what to do. So she walks up to the nightclub one night, pays a $10 cover charge, walks on in, finds a bartender and says, hey, Jesus has sent me here to do something good for these people. (laughs) And the bartender says, get out of here. Well, she's not giving up. She's there with a couple of her girlfriends from church, you know, and they're just like praying, like, what are we going to do? Well, they're drawn to this man uh, having a mixed drink at one of the tables, and they go and sit down, and and she uh, she says to this guy who happens, she finds out later, 
in just a few moments. She finds out he's the actually owner of that nightclub and several nightclubs in Louisville. And uh, she says, uh, Jesus has sent me here to do something kind and loving for the women, women in this club. And like, he's stunned for a while. And she tells him, can we fix them a meal? Can we just like bring a meal in for these girls? And he's like, sure, no problem. And, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of like, I wonder what this is going to look like. And, and so uh, they, they begin bringing these, you know, home-cooked meals in, you know, just like a fellowship dinner, like, but they carry it into the nightclub. And uh, some of the women, they won't eat it because they're Christian serving it, and they think it's poisoned. And they're like, they're trying to kill us. That's why they're here. Seriously. But uh, over time, they persist in loving these people and, and sharing meals with them. And uh, over the past few years, they've led 600 women out of sex trafficking into a new relationship with God, out of that lifestyle and into a new job in their life. And so uh, she's, there, there are a number of women uh, that help her, actually 300 volunteers, and she's got staff members. And, and so these women, um, they uh, provide counseling and, and, uh, and encouragement and and, and, and needs that they have at home. And, and so it's just amazing. Uh, the reason it, it, her ministry is called Scarlet Hope is because there was a, a young dance girl. Uh, her name was Scarlet, and uh, she had completely given up on life. They finally made a connection with her, and when they went to her house, she had a, she had a, a Barbie sleeping bag. That's all she had to sleep on and had almost nothing. And, and, and so it, this woman just so connected with Rachel and... Anyway, um, they uh, began a bakery in Louisville uh, called Scarlet's uh, Bakery. And so these women, you know, if you say, well, you can't do that, well, you better have another option. And so that's why they started that business, so these women could learn a new trade and have a new source of income and have a, a new beginning in their life. Now, all of this happened because one person listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit was not going to be dissuaded by the eyebrows of her church. As a matter of fact, a lot of the church was very encouraging to her and have been great support to her. But, you know, she had to overcome a lot of people. She said, one person said to her, I can't believe you paid the cover charge. She says, best 10 bucks I ever spent. And, and, and so here's what I'm saying. Like, you and I, we look at models like this and say, that's what, that's what Jesus would do. That's exactly what Jesus would do. He would go where the people are at who feel most distant from God, most ostracized, most unbelonging to the kingdom of God, and say, you belong, let's have dinner together, let's be, let's be friends in Christ, let's, let's, let's have a new beginning, and, and show them grace. And so um, we, can, uh, we can make a difference. And so you're like, I don't think I can go into a club. Well, I'm like, probably shouldn't. Maybe it's not what God's calling you to do. But maybe God is calling you to open your dinner table to someone who's distant from God. I love the, what one woman did at Christmas. She puts an ad in Craigslist and she says, if you don't have a place to eat Christmas dinner, come to my house. And she just invites people to her house. And her and her single mom, her and her uh, teenage uh, children, they just, they just love people when they come to their house. Like you think, man, that's terrifying. All right, all right, all right. Maybe that's too much. All right, we're going to take a smaller baby step, right? Make some brownies. Put them in a bag or some cookies and put them in a little bag and put a note on there. Hey, I uh, just wanted to say uh, howdy, neighbors, whatever. And take them to your neighbors or take them to your 
uh, uh, who you work with. It, you know, just one small step, right? Right? Just one small step uh, in that direction of reaching out to people in table fellowship. Uh, maybe if you're like me, when I uh, used to work. At, uh, for AEP, we always sat at the same lunch table. I don't know if you're that guy or that girl where you always sit in the same place, and you know you sit there because you know Joe's going to be there or whatever, you know, and, and like, so you get real comfortable. So sit at a different table, go to lunch at a slightly different time, do something different to put yourself in space with someone who may be distant from God or, or feels very unconnected to Jesus. Like, just take a risk. Try something like that. Host a Levi banquet. So if you're new in Christ or new in the church or new to the area, say, I, I, got, this, I got this really like kind of evil plan, evil good way. I'm going to get some of my Christian friends, and I'm going to have a, a cookout at my house, and I'm going to invite like four or five of my small group over, and I'm going to invite four or five of my family members who hate God or four or five people I know that have no relationship with God, I'm going to invite them to my house, and we're just going to have this Levi banquet. Jesus is going to be the guest of honor. I'm not going to tell them that. But, you know, it's going to blow them away when I pray because they've never heard me pray. You know, like one of those things. Like, look, you and I can do this. Now, I already know that everyone in this room has struggled with what I have talked about today because I struggle with it like you. And the reason we struggle with it is because it doesn't take long to be following Christians and going to church before our circles get smaller and smaller and smaller. And suddenly, about the only people we talk to are people who say Jesus in a worship song and not a cuss word, right? I mean, that's just who we are. And, 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 and some of that's justified because we're trying to start a new life and like, I can't do it when I'm always hanging out with him or whatever. So I get that. But we have to be so very careful that we don't become Pharisees. This is hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard for everyone, especially in a rural community where there are sort of these standards and there's sort of these neighborhoods, and there's sort of these like places, and this is just the way it is, Bob. Well, where would Jesus be? So next time you walk into Cracker Barrel, and you see somebody all by themselves, invite them to your table, and buy their, buy their lunch, buy their dinner. The next time you're like going through the drive-thru, buy for the lunch behind you, you know, don't even know, just, just random acts of grace and kindness, and you never know what the Holy Spirit can do with a couple loaves and some fishes, right? We don't know. God can do amazing things if we'll just put ourselves out there and be led by the Spirit and see what He can do. Let's be inviting people to dinner at our house. At our house. We have these mansions we live in, right? You're saying, I don't live in a mansion. Uh, you want to come to Rwanda with me? Or New Delhi, and you'll come home and you go, I live in a mansion. I was telling my grandsons, I had them this weekend, they wore me out, man, they wore me out. And one of them's in the room right now, and he said, hey, Papa, I'll help you preach today. And I was like, I might need the help today. But, uh, but anyway, I was telling them about the big differences between living in the United States and living anywhere else in the world, almost anywhere else in the world. 
If you drive a car, you're in the top 3% richest people in the world. Wow. If you drive a car, you're in the top 3% richest people in the world because most people don't drive a car. Most people go to church on a motorcycle, which is cool. But, and Jesus would. That's what Jesus would. All right. So, all right. I made that up, maybe. Uh, we'll see. But uh, I just want to say I know how challenging this is. I know you're thinking about what I'm trying to say. This is really like, okay, you got to take the next practical step. So here's your challenge. By the end of this week, you'll do something in response to this message. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity to challenge all of us. There's no person more challenged than me. And so, Father, I ask that you would help me to be like Jesus. Um, to have lunch and dinner and fellowship with people whom Jesus would be with, the people who were sinners searching for grace. And, and they didn't even know what the word grace is. I'm convinced that most of us, even after we're following Christ for a while, it takes years for us to even understand the depth of grace. But Lord, I pray that we could like be that Jesus person for them, like we could be the person that is unassuming, non-judgmental, that is reaching out, that wants to love, that wants, to, wants them to belong, that wants to know people care. And, and whatever, I know where you're prompting all of us. Help us to respond to those promptings. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.